turn to Psalm 39. And now that we've had a little bit of mountaintop experience, I'm going to knock you back down into the valley. <laughs> this is a little bit of a, a, a negative uh, vibe you might be getting here from what I'm getting ready to say. But what I want to ask you is, well, let me ask you this. I can start off in a positive way. How many of you have had the best week ever this week? Just the best week ever. The, the best week can't compare to any other week you've ever had. It's been so good. Okay, all right. How many of you have not had the best week ever? <laughs> that should be everybody. Uh, how many of you are struggling through some things right now? I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about that. How many of you are struggling? How many of you haven't really thought about it till I mentioned it right right now? But but how many of you are struggling? You know, with with the situation that Joe brought up, uh, a family who's a loved this cancer. There's a that's a struggle. Uh, it's a struggle to first of all hear that diagnosis, and then live with that diagnosis, and then have to look at all the appointments that are and, and wondering what kind of news you're going to get that day. And, uh, and it can be a very difficult and a very trying time. Is there a manual, is there a instruction booklet that teaches us how to behave when we're struggling? Think about this. Somebody, some of you are pointing to your Bible. Um, when you have struggled in the past, how have you handled it? What, what, who do you look to for inspiration? Other people? Um, do you handle yourself the same in every struggle that you have? Or do you just kind of, well, over here I'm real vocal about everything, and over here I just kind of kept quiet about it. And we maybe find ourselves doing different things. And David was no different. And David, again, is just such a, an encouragement to me because he is so human and he's not afraid to show his human side as when we have a tendency at times to put him up on that uh, Bible hero pedestal and uh, we will very quickly oh yes there was an indiscretion oh yes he he had that thing with Bathsheba but that side he was pretty pretty decent guy most of the time and I beg to differ. I think he was a lot like you and me. He had good days and bad days. And we don't hear everything that David experienced. I don't know everything that David did and said, but he has certainly given us uh, a pretty good uh, view of what his life was like and the things that he struggled with, even in his relationship to God. So tonight, I think what we're going to see in Psalm 39 is a recommended way for us to suffer, a recommended way for us to suffer, and how we can suffer, if you want to say it this way, how we can suffer wisely before God. And automatically, I know what you're thinking, I don't want to suffer at all, and I don't either. I don't either, but there comes that to us that tells us that in this life, some of that trouble is going to be the struggling that we experience. But I tell you, I'm so thankful for biblical truth good, solid biblical truth, things that even though I may not feel them, that I, I can know them, know that they're true, understand that they're true, even if though there may be times I don't actually feel like they are. I can look to the Bible and if it says something, it is something. 
And if it tells me that something's going to happen, I know that something's going to happen. So I'm really thankful too, and I want to start off with this, by thankful for the providence of God, that He is the creator of everything. And being the creator of everything, He governs everything, He upholds everything, He knows everything that's going on, and He does it all to the praise of His glory. And He is just, he is just an awesome God for us, and He is so good to us, and I don't think we spend enough time thinking about his providence and how he's just got it all taken care of and, and everything is under his control and he knows what's going on. And in respect to that and in respect to the providence of God and knowing that he knows what we need uh, to survive and he knows what we need to be able to um, fulfill his purpose for our lives, there are times when what God will do is He will allow suffering in my life. And He will allow suffering in your life. And as we've talked about God's providence, we also need to talk about God's sovereignty. He is supreme. He takes really good care of us. Amen? He is, he is all-wise. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And in, and in that, every now and then, He will just kind of pull His hand away and He will allow us to undergo suffering. He will allow us to go uh, under temptation. He will allow these things to happen to us. But there's always a reason. And there's always a purpose for His, for his doing this. Now, a lot of people will argue, and sometimes I struggle with this too, and think about this and wonder, that the reason that we struggle is punishment. We are being punished uh, in a very judicial and legalistic and legislative way that God is, is punishing us. But I, but I keep going back to the cross and I keep remembering that the punishment for our sins was already taken care of on the cross. So what I think, rather, that in the providence of God, what He does is He allows us to undergo suffering because He has a good purpose for it. And not only a good purpose, but a loving purpose. And that's important to remember because He is a God that is good, but He is also always a God that loves us. And boy, that's sometimes hard, hard for us to stand and comprehend, especially when we're going through uh, times of suffering. But He has a good and loving purpose when He allows it. And He allows, he allows suffering in our lives to teach us and to correct us and to train us. Train us to do what? It's all for the purpose of getting us to trust Him more. He, he loves for us to trust Him. He wants for us to trust Him. And He knows that that's what's best for us. To put all our trust in Him. Don't put any trust in myself. Don't put trust in others. Uh, scripture says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. I trust in the name of the Lord my God. And that should be something we think about every single day because there's a lot of things that we put our trust in besides God. And two, this suffering that's sometimes allowed into our lives is brought about so that we will learn and have a greater dependence on Him and a greater trust in Him. And also I believe it happens so that we'll be more prepared for future occasions when we have the opportunity to sin. 
So these, there's a purpose and there's a reason for all the struggle, all the struggle that, that we go through. He's longing for that closer and deeper relationship. He wants us to have that. And not only for himself, but he knows that that's what's best for us. And what happens too often uh, with, with Christians, with us, is that we, we have a tendency that when things do go well and we don't seem to be having any problems, that we just don't, we don't trust him as much. And we feel like we can kind of scale back a little bit on, on that. And, and that's, when, that's when the enemy can kind of come in and sneak in and start causing some trouble, isn't it? And so you begin to think, well, if the struggle is what reminds me that I need to depend on God, maybe I should pray for more struggle. I didn't know if I'd get a response to that or not. Yeah, I think we would all, I think we would all say that. But, but when, when we see that the benefit of the struggle is to remind us of how we need to depend on God, we do see that, that a struggle can be a benefit and that it can be good for the child of God. And it can also, I guess, sometimes be seen as a blessing. And really anything that permits us um, or that results in our drawing closer to God has got to be considered a gift of His grace, uh, even, even suffering. So I wanted to share all that with you because that really complements what we're going to be talking about tonight in Psalm 39. And uh, we get some really good advice from King David here. And this particular psalm, of course, is a psalm of David. And we, again, we don't know what he was going through when he wrote this. But I do know that in my Bible, it says that this, this particular chapter, to the chief musician, even to Jejuthun, a psalm of David, it's called a time of trouble. A time of trouble. So we know that he was going through a difficult time. And there are those that think this was the time when Absalom had committed his act of treason and he was trying to uh, take over the kingdom from David and David was going to have to flee, he was going to have to run. Others think that it could have been another person that was being a traitor to David Someone else who had committed a traitorous act towards him, betrayed him and was persecuting him, wanted to harm him in some way. But whatever it was, we don't really know specifically what it was. And I think there is a reason for that. And we've mentioned this before. Sometimes we don't exactly know what David's writing about, what specific thing he is going through. And I think this is a tool the Holy Spirit uses for us. Because if we knew specifically what it was he was going through, then in our minds we might think, well, then what he's doing is really only specifically good for that type of problem. But I think in not knowing what it was he was going through, it, op- it's wi- it opens it wide open for us to be able to interpret this, that this is good for any trouble. This is good for any problem that, that we may be going through. So let's read it. And as we read it, let's, let's look at how God took David's eyes off of the lesser things and reminded him that he needed to trust and place his hope in him alone. So as we read, let's begin with verse number 1 of Psalm 39. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. 
My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain shoe. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in Thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth, because Thou thou didst it. That's one of those words. Thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. So we see a lot of what we're going to find out is we're going to see a lot of practical advice here on how to handle struggling and what perspective we should have and what's the best way to go about it. So before we take each one individually and talk about it, I want to talk about how this psalm flows and what David actually talks about here. The first thing that we're going to see that we read about is that in in times of suffering, what we need to do is we need to be silent before men. Now, we'll talk about that, but automatically you may be getting some thoughts and ideas about that. He's recommending, he's saying he was silent before men in his suffering, in his struggling. And secondly, he said that in that silence, he was not inactive. He wasn't inactive, but he began to think. And he began to think humbly. So there's right there, I've got some really good instruction because a lot of times when I'm struggling and all I want to do is complain, the last thing I want to do is think. I just want to complain. But he's saying be silent. And then he's saying think humbly. And then the next thing that we see that in our thinking, we should learn to look at God with all of his power, with all of his majesty and all his glory and learn to hope only in Him. And then finally, in in that sense of hope that grows, when you place your faith and hope in Him, we need to learn how to cry out to God. All that sounds good. All that sounds great. Is that something that we should do? Is that something that we can do? Well, let's find out. Let's talk about it. Let's walk through this together. Let's ask God what He wants us to get out of tonight. Because I tell you, just as I asked you, if you were struggling... I've had struggles this week, and this psalm really helped me. So I can't help but imagine that it will do the same for you. And if you're not struggling, uh, well, for those of you that know that you're struggling, and for myself, that's what this message is for, if you're not struggling, you can stay and listen in anyway. Okay, is that a deal? Is that good? All right. Okay, so that first thing we have that we see, and we see this in verses 1 through 3, is that in suffering, we are encouraged to be silent 
before men. And this sounds like weird advice. It really does because we are usually taught that in a time of trouble and a time of suffering, we need to share our feelings, we need to talk about it, we need to get it out, make our feelings known. And then you might say, well, wait a minute, William, isn't it biblical to do that? It absolutely is. Uh, if you look in Galatians chapter 6, it tells us, and you know this well, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as members of the body of Christ together, we're supposed to share each other's burdens. How can you share my burden unless I tell you what my burden is? But William, when you tell somebody your burden, that means you're not being silent and you're saying, David said, to be silent. So what are you, what are you saying here? How do we reconcile all that? Well, the thing with David was this. He wanted to make sure that when he opened his mouth that he and, and he said anything, and if he had said anything about his suffering, he wanted to make sure that when he did it, he didn't sin. He did not want to sin when he talked about it. He didn't want to utter any kind of accusation that wasn't uh, appropriate towards other people. He didn't want to cast a, any kind of uh, sinful blame towards God. And also, there were wicked people around him. And there were people that, that were looking for anything they could use to take David down. So what people could do is if in a time of weakness David shared something, they could take what he was saying and turn it against him or turn it against the God that David said that he loved. Um, he said, I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. He said that in verse 1. Verse 2, he said, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. And again, he didn't want to say anything in front of his enemies because just imagine uh, David as he talked about his God to anybody that would listen or anybody that was in God. David had praise for God. He, he, he loved to praise God and talk about God and, and trusted God and how God took care of him. But can you see how in a time of struggle, when David might be feeling uh, a little, uh, I don't know, less loved by God than normal, let's just put it that way, that he might say some things like, oh, I, I can't understand why I'm going through this. This is the worst thing I've ever experienced. I never thought I'd have to go through anything like that. And saying that, just an example, and I'm not even sure if this is what he did. I'm just kind of taking this and running with it. But wouldn't an enemy of the faith, wouldn't an enemy of David take what he said and say, well, hey, I thought your God was such a good God. I thought your God was such a providential God. I thought your God was such a sovereign God. And here you are whining about how things aren't going well for you and, and blah, blah, blah. And see, David, what was David's heart was for people to trust God and he wanted people to love God and he didn't want anything to come from his mouth that would cause an unbeliever or someone who wasn't trusting in God to have some kind of uh, to, to fuel their defiance against God and so he was real concerned about when he did his mouth that it be the right thing how concerned am I about that when I'm struggling I think most of the time when I'm struggling, what I want to do is complain about what a bad deal I'm being handed. 
and who I would like to give a piece of my mind to. And can you see how, and sometimes letting those things come out of my mouth, if I were trying to be a witness to somebody around me, how that might be a deterrent or a hindrance to them wanting to be a Christian or come to church or talk about all this love and all this God stuff. And, you know, there were even, I read some commentaries where people thought David was in error by not saying anything. But I think it was really rather wise of David to keep his mouth shut. And I'm hoping and praying that I can get some of this wisdom myself and learn how sometimes to keep my mouth shut. Because sometimes I don't. And, and I should have. It has a lot to say about that, doesn't it? About, about your tongues and, and my tongue. And how it can get us in trouble. Uh, the tongue is a fire, a, wor- a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. James chapter 3 verse 6. So there's always the danger of, of things coming out of here that shouldn't in our times of suffering. And the scripture also tells us that we're supposed to be careful with our words around ungodly people. It says um, in Matthew chapter 7, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. So he was, again, just wanting to be very careful, wanting to be very careful about what he said and how he said it and with what heart that he said it. But along with all that, saying the complete opposite of what I just said I would encourage you and I believe the scripture encourages us to share our feelings to share how we are feeling but we need to share our feelings in a discreet way we need to share our feelings in a wise way not in a sinful way like David was afraid he would do and where people can take what you're saying and turn it around or where we un inaccurately accuse people of things that they haven't done because how many times during our struggle have we looked out at people that we thought had said or done something and they really hadn't and how much damage can they do and how many times in our struggle have we accused God even and this is again this is why David thought it was wise to be silent and to hold his tongue And that's exactly what he did. He didn't want to turn his time of suffering in his soul to sinning with his lips. But there came a time, as there does with all of us too, I know, there came a time when he had to say something. It's like one of those deals where you're so, where it's so pent up inside it's going to explode if you don't get to say anything. Again, his desire was to do it in the right way. And when at last he did speak, he said, And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. And here is a lesson for us as well. Who is the first person that he spoke to? What was the first word he said? He said, Lord. The first person that he spoke to was God. He spoke to God about what was going on. The very first, very first person that we need to speak to when we're struggling with is God as well. The very first person that we need to pour our heart out to should be God. After all, he's a pretty good listener, isn't he? He's an excellent listener. He already knows how to help you and how to help me. He already knows 
the benefit of what we're going through, and He is ready to lead us and guide us in the right way. So He spoke, he spoke to the right person. He spoke directly to God. And we need to do the same. And, and that time of silence was good for Him. That time of silence is good for us because what it does, it helps us orient our spirits and get our hearts and minds in the right place before we say anything. You know, uh, some of us would consider ourselves hot, hot-tempered or hot-natured. Not hot-natured. That's just being hot when it's no matter what. I see a lot of y'all fanning. That's why I said that. Hot-tempered. And so sometimes it just it comes out, doesn't it? It just spews out. But that time of silence gave him time to just kind of get himself centered in, okay, what do I need to say? How do I need to say it? And who do I need to say it to? And that's what he did. That was good for him. And he spoke to God first. And that's what God wanted. Isn't that what God wants, don't you think? Isn't his primary interest in getting us to trust him? And if we trust him, when we struggle, will we not go to him? The one who will deliver us. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So that's, that's the first thing that we see. He was silent. But the second thing that we see is that in his silence, he thought deeply and he thought humbly. And again, in that thinking, now he may have had some, some worldly, fleshly thoughts. We don't really know. Uh, it would just be really normal for him to, to think I would really like to take whoever traitor to me and just you know he's, he probably maybe did have some thoughts like that but in keeping his mouth shut and thinking he began to realize some things that you and I need to realize too and instead of thinking I'm going to pay that person back or I'm going to give them a piece of my mind he began to think about how frail and how humble mankind is before God how frail we are again who are we before God and sometimes we build ourselves up to think that we're so important and this world will be not be the place it is if we weren't here but in reality and the wording that he uses and the things that he says pretty much lets us know that we're we're nothing more than a puff of air just a just a vapor, just a puff of air. And even at our most significant point in life, when we think we're the greatest, uh, at some point we're going to end up in the ground in a box and people are going to forget about us. And, and, and life is going to go on. And I don't know what makes me think that I shouldn't have to struggle. I don't know what makes me think that God should smile favorably upon me and that I should never have a difficult day in my life. Who am I to ask for that? He realized, again, his, his frailty. And then he, he said, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Teach me to measure my days. And I don't think, I don't think David is wanting to know from God, okay, God, what, how many more years do I have to live? You know, how much longer? I think he wanted to know that. I think he just, I think rather he just wanted to realize how frail of a human being that he, he really was. So in other words, one of the things that made David think that, that he thought about during this time was how brief life is, how short life is, and we are but a vapor. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreath. This is a handbreath. That's nothing, you know. 
and my age as nothing before you. So he talked about and thought about how brief his life was, would be. And we don't think about that a lot in this day and time because we kind of glorify the youth culture. And we don't ever think that much about dying. We think about living and our kids and our young people. Think about when you were young. Did you think about the day you were going to die or did you kind of feel invincible and like I've got my life, whole life ahead of me and I've got so much to look forward to. But how brief is life. Life is but a vapor. And, we're, and he said, teach me to number my days. And he realized again how frail he was. And I think in seeing these things and understanding these things, it kind of helped him too to prepare for that time that would come eternity when he wouldn't have to worry about the end of days, to worry about his frailty. But he would be in eternity with God. And then he thought also about the vanity of human glory. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor or is but a breath. And then he said, Selah, which means stop and think about that. You know, sometimes we feel forever and we mean so much to this world and we're so important. But before we know it, we could be gone. And just like that, stop and think about that. And so in being still and quiet, he, he began to humbly think of who he really was as, as a human being. Just again, just like a, a puff of air. Um, and humble and frail. And then he went on to talk about riches. And now that's something that people will forever struggle with. You know, I've got this, but I'm not happy with this. I won't. And I've got this, but it's not as good as so-and-so's, so I'd like to have something better. And, you know, we all go through feelings like that. Our next-door neighbor might get a puppy. And, well, I want a puppy. Or our next-door neighbor gets a, 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 a new SUV. Well, I think we need an SUV. Well, honey, it's just you and me. I know, but we need an SUV. And, you know, you, there's nothing wrong with wanting these things. And if you've got the money, buying these things. But what we fall into is that trap of, I just got to keep getting and getting and getting and and he began to think about that and how senseless that was and you know we're reminded of the man uh, that Jesus spoke of who worked so hard to gain up all his riches and then he started building bigger and bigger places to put all this stuff bigger and bigger barns until one day God said this night your soul will be required of you and then whose will those things be which you have provided and David even said in the scripture tonight, he heaps up riches. I know who will gather them. It's like, it's like buying all this stuff. And then one day he takes it all and donates it to a thrift store or a yard or something like that. And, and people are going through the things that you just had to have and you had to spend your money on. And if you didn't have it, your life would not be complete. And then, and then perspective when that happened. And he realized, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm realizing how brief my life is, how silly it is for me to be an important person even though I'm a king, and all this stuff about having to be wealthy and having to have all this stuff. And the lesson for you and me in this day and time, now that we're in the uh, time of the new covenant, is to realize that only what is in Christ will last. That's all that will last.
and yet still we, we struggle and strive to be important and to live forever and to gain all these things. But in that silence, he began to think humbly and he began to understand some things that we all need to understand as well. And then the next thing that he saw in verses 7 through 11, uh, in thinking, see, he got quiet and then he started thinking. And then in his thinking, he realized and remembered that his hope was in God. And through this time of struggle, what God was doing is he was weaning David away from all of the earthly, temporary, man-made, man-centered things. Pulling him away from all that and trying to remember that his attachment, his, his trust, his hope needed to be in God and in God alone. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. That's great, isn't it? It's great to hear him say that. And later on in Psalm 73, we read this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, this perspective that David was gaining, he never would have gotten it if he hadn't gone through the struggle. What perspective has God given me and is He trying to give you through my struggle and through your struggle? Um, I want to read this. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, excuse me, Ephesians 5, verse 27. This is speaking about the church, how one day Jesus will present us to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but rather holy and without blemish. And I read that because David also got the perspective that he wanted to be delivered from sin. And he was longing for that time and that day when sin would no longer be an issue, when his enemies wouldn't be able to flaunt his faults in front of him, and that they would be no more, and he would be delivered completely from sin, and he would be delivered completely from the wiles of, of Satan and what Satan could do. And he was longing for that day when he could be delivered from all that and be presented, presented in heaven as spotless, as Scripture says, without wrinkle and glorious. And th also through all of this uh, struggle, David began to realize, as we've already said, that there was had a purpose for it. God had a purpose for it. I want you to look at verse number 9. I was mute... I did not open my mouth, now listen to this, because it was you who did it. So that kind of puts things into perspective because God is the one that allowed this. So does that mean that when I struggle, and since I understand struggle is allowed by a providential God, that I should never complain or that I shouldn't be upset when things happen. It would be possible not to feel those things. But we are reminded again of God's sovereignty, of God's providence, and that there is a reason for this. And there is a, there is a purpose for this. I'm going to try to speed along and give you the last thing here. The last thing that we see in Scripture, and this comes from verse 12 through 13, 
that in the hope, uh, in hope, in realizing that his only hope was in God, his only hope of, of one day going to heaven, his hope of one day being delivered from sin, his only hope in life at all was in God. So when you realize who your hope is in, that's who you go to. That's who you call out to. And that's who you, you cry out to. And he had learned and he was expressing at the end of this psalm a great dependence on God. And that's really right where God wanted him to be. Not in David, what David could do. And not what, what anybody around him could do, but what in God, but what God could do and what God could do for him. He said, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. So this goes back to what I said a few minutes ago. Right here, he is telling God about the pain that he's in. So let's go to God when when we struggle and when we have pain. Let's go to God and tell him what we're going through and what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. And he gives attention to us in his sorrow. In our sorrow, rather. I was just thinking about the song that we heard Sunday night about how when we cry out to God, He knows our voice and He hears our voice. And He he hears it when we praise, but He also hears it when we're struggling and when we're crying out to Him. And I think this scripture, especially in verse number 12, again points to the time when David knew he would no longer be here, he would be in heaven. Because he said in verse 12 that he was a stranger, he was a sojourner. He realized that his fathers before him were no longer here and they were gone. And that kind of underscored that idea of how brief life was. And everything was coming into perspective. And maybe the day before all this happened, David, David was just walking around carefree without a care in the world, not really remembering God like he should have, not really trusting God like he should have. Maybe even having some thoughts about going up to the, to the roof of the palace and see if anybody was taking a bath up there. Now, I don't know if he was doing that. But you don't know. We don't know. But look what this struggle, look where this struggle took him. Look where this struggle brought him to. Where does our, our struggles take us to? So he was looking to, looking to get to that place where he would no longer have to deal with all this. And he was understanding that that time would come because he was just a... He was just on a journey, and he was, he was a stranger. And he, again, and finally he pled for compassion from God. And he knew that God loved him, and he knew that God knew how much he could handle. God knows how much you can take. God, God knows your breaking point. But God also knows where he can take you to to get the biggest benefit for you in your life from here on out. And so what can we do but trust Him? And that's all He's trying to bring us to through, through all that He takes us through. That's what He was bringing David through in this psalm. Now I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we're not going to read Psalm 40 in its entirety tonight. But we see Psalm 39 with David being in a time of trouble. But I want you to look at how he starts Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me. And heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Again, would David be where he is at in these verses 
and gone through what he had gone through in chapter 39? Would he have the he had there if he hadn't gone through what he went through in the previous chapter? So what we can what we can kind of find out what we've talked about and seen here tonight is that we can receive a great benefit from the suffering that we go through when we maybe take some of the steps that David took. Be silent, think humbly, realize that God is our help, and then cry out to God. A simple formula, something maybe that would benefit us if we would give it a shot and see where it, where it takes us. And remembering that everything, every struggle that we go through is for our good in God. He, we know from Romans that he works all things out for good. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to give you some good news from the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament here tonight. I'm going to give you some good news from the New Testament. And I want to take this from the, the standpoint of the Jesus and the disciples. Uh, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said that when I come back from the dead again, you will know that I am in the Father, that you are in me, and that I'm in you. And that's from John 14, 20. So what we see there, just name here, this is you. So when we become Christians, so that Jesus is in us. And then Scripture tells us that we are in Jesus. And then that we are in God. So there's a pretty pretty neat picture, right? So again, he said, when I come back to life, in you will know that I'm in the Father, that you are in me, and that I am in so look at where you are. Think about where you are. Secure, safe, hidden, and surrounded by God's love. Amen? So anything, any struggle, any difficulty that you and I go through has to go through Him. And then through him, and when it hits us, it finds us full of him. So we are, we are in a very safe place, even in our struggles, even in our difficulties, even in the worst day that we've ever had. When I come back to life again, you will know that I'm in the Father that you are in me, and that I am in you. And I'm telling you what, it, it does a lot to, to show us that we don't need to be afraid of anything, do we? I'm not necessarily talking about feeling afraid. I'm talking about knowing something to be true. This is something that you and I can know. This is not a, uh, a silly little concept or something to make you feel fuzzy inside. It's truth. This is truth. You are surrounded. You are full and you are surrounded. And secure. So even in those struggles and even in those times we go through struggles and we don't go through them as eloquently as David did or 
do when we try to follow David's little, little uh, sequence here. Or if we get halfway through it and the other half we just completely blow it, we're still completely hidden and secure in His love. So what is it that we can't handle? What, what can God not handle in our lives? He can handle everything. Can He handle your feeling like just making a mess of everything in your life and you're not doing anything right? He can that and He can remind you that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And He'll also remind you that He will do through you what needs to be. He will allow Him to do that. He will do it through you because remember, He's in you. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are working out what He has worked in, right? Even in the midst of our struggles. And, and we can maybe even one day walk away from that and say, what a blessing that struggle was. Let's all stand.